Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. I want to speak about what the Opals are today, and that is a gritty, determined, relentless, I just have so many words for them because I just have immense pride for how they've been able to overcome so much and perform like that on home soil and to be able to inspire a nation and see their passion. We're closing out our FIBA Women's World Cup journey with guest, former Opals legend, Jenna O'Hay. Jenna was there throughout the entire Women's World Cup, wearing a very different hat as part of the largely female ESPN broadcast crew. It was a proud moment for Jenna, witnessing the results of the dedicated work her Opal sisters had put in, as only a recently retired captain can appreciate. And that special encore moment for Lauren Jackson. As Jenna puts it, it's just a really cool and beautiful story. Forever an Opal, Jenna continues to advocate for the mental well-being of players and in her true leadership style, inspired the new WNBL Signet Community Award. Wait for the response to our unscripted question that had us muting the laughter as any Shooting the Breeze listener will understand in a classic, if you know, you know moment. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host, Jacinta Gavind. It's Jenna O'Hay. Jenna, welcome to the show. It is really great to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. So, Jenna, we got a lot of stuff to cover. First of all, uh, congratulations on being part of the FIBA Women's World Cup commentary team. That was great. And I suppose the first thing is, how did you find being part of such a huge event? Yeah, it was awesome to be a part of. Uh, I wasn't quite sure when I retired how much I wanted to be a part of basketball. I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to take a big step away. And I think originally I did want to take a step away. And then as it got closer, um, I was like, oh, actually, I think I would like to be a bit more a part of this than what I originally thought. And then ESPN called and offered me the opportunity to be part of the broadcast. And John Clark, the producer, put in a great pitch. Um, I loved that they had so many females on the broadcast for a Women's World Cup. I thought that was awesome. And yeah, it was great to be a part of it. And I felt part of a team, which I think a lot of athletes talk about missing the most, is not having that team environment. So to have our little broadcast team and we'd have our production meetings and then meet before we go on air and then, you know, have our wind downs after we got off air. It was, yeah, really nice to be a part of that. And it was a pretty easy job for me. I got to speak about the game I love and speak about the Opals, who are all some of my nearest and dearest friends. So it was just the perfect opportunity for me and I loved every single second of it. And just to clarify, was that wind down or wine down? <laughs> Definitely wine down. Yeah. <laughs> um, the adrenaline of being on live TV for the amount of time we were on, we definitely needed to wind down after that. And, yeah, it was a great group to be a part of and we enjoyed our wind downs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
because uh, Paul and I were also at the event and spent some time in the Media Tribune area. And where you you were set up with ESPN wasn't actually too far away. It was just a balcony above. But what I noticed that I thought was really interesting was how early yourself and your team actually had to arrive before the broadcast. So you guys would be there a good couple hours early, I think, in terms of preparation. So was that something going into the role that you expected? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can see you laughing. <laughs> expected um, so much time in a sense of like pre-game preparation and then, like you said, the wind down at the end. Were you expecting that part of the role? Absolutely not. I had no idea what I signed up for. I think I was just like, yeah, I would love to do that. I have no experience. I know nothing about it, but let's do it. And then sort of a couple of weeks before, Timsy called me and was like, we need to do some scouting. Like, we don't know the other teams. And, like, I was familiar with the other countries. I had played against them a bit, obviously, but there were some new names, there were some new teams. And so I think as a player, the scout is just given to us. We read it, we watch video, it's all good. But this was sort of all on our own back. So the preparation to have so much time on live air, I definitely did not know about. We were getting there for – so the Opals mainly played at 8.30 at night. I was getting in the cab from the hotel at about one o'clock and then we'd get there for hair and makeup and then we'd have production meetings. Um, I'd be doing my prep for the game that was coming up. Uh, We were on air, I think at either four or 4.30. It varied a little bit. We were live for 90 minutes and then it was the first game that was at six and then we'd have from the end of that game until the Opals game. So there was a lot of on-time air. There was a lot of prep work. And so that wind down at the end was definitely needed. And I can tell you, after those 10 days, I was exhausted. I think I slept for pretty much two days straight following. Um, I'm an introvert, so to be so up on air and then spending a lot of time around people on the days off, I went and saw the Opals girls. So it was a big 10 days, but I wouldn't change anything because it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, I, th- I think for anybody who was there, there was nothing like it. The whole atmosphere, the people, the action that was going on on the floor, it was it's nothing like it. And I think it was probably one of the best, it is the best basketball event I've ever been to in all the years I've been around the sport. That just now- gave me goosebumps hearing that because just the amount of pride that I have that Australia are able to put on an event like that the standard of play of the women basketballers that were in our country um, and just putting on just an absolute showcase and to have so many fans in the crowd. I know Annalie Maley told just a beautiful story about how she was walking home from one of the games and she saw someone wearing her um, jersey and she was like, hey, that's me, and got a photo (laughs) with them and it's just beautiful and just so many young boys and girls were inspired by watching that basketball showcase that was put on on our home soil. And I think it's good that you mentioned boys and girls because as much as we love to support female representation and making sure young female athletes come and see the senior female athletes on such a world stage, I think it's still equally as important that young males are seeing females athletes on a world stage as well to help normalise that females can do just as well as the male athletes. Yeah, and I think society is really changing in that way. I think the younger generation definitely sees females as equals, which I don't think has always been the case, but that's definitely changing in society. And I couldn't be more proud of our younger generation that they see it that way. And the amount of young boys that I saw in the crowd that were lining up for autographs, it was just really beautiful to see. Yeah, it it was great. I know, look, my daughter came to a few of the games and she was just absolutely buzzed by everything that she saw, and particularly that bronze medal game. She was just so thrilled. She was like up on her feet, cheering. It was the level of inspiration that came to younger kids out of that event was just amazing. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> but the one thing I was, I'm was, i curious to find out from your point of view is, in terms of how the games played out, Was there anything that really surprised you, like teams that you thought might do better that didn't or teams that did better than you expected? I think Canada, for me, were the real surprise packet. I think uh, at the 2018 World Cup, they had a really great team and we all sort of thought they'd be up there 
in the medals and they didn't make it to the quarterfinals or they might have lost. I don't think they – yeah, no, they lost in the quarterfinals. And then, again, at Tokyo, I think we thought that they would be really good and then didn't end up making the quarterfinals. And then for them to come and get through and get to the bronze medal game, I think they were the surprise packet for me. They had a new coach, um, had a lot of younger players coming through, and I really just liked the way they played. They had no gas by the end of the tournament. They put it all out mm. on the court. But, yeah, for me, it was Canada as the surprise packet of the tournament. Yeah, I agree, actually. Traditionally, Canada is a team you always expect to perform better than what they actually do. And I never really had any explanation as to why they were underperforming or um, I never really had, and based on that, I never really considered them as a contender. And when they turned up to this World Cup, I just felt like the biggest idiot because (laughs) they turned up in a big way, like you said, making the bronze medal match. But um, it is reassuring to hear that Uh, An expert like yourself, Jenna, also thought the same thing about the Canadian team. Well, yeah, I think I remember, you know, we all stay in the same hotel and I definitely remember in Tenerife in 2018 at the World Cup, they were talking a big game and then they sort of bombed out in that quarterfinal. So, yeah, we expected so much from them. And then I think, you know, there's all the talk about the pool of death and obviously Canada were in that pool of death. So I think we just sort of thought they would bomb out a little bit and they just played where probably thought they were going to be the last couple of years, then they haven't been there, but they had a great, oh, there goes my AirPod, gee whiz. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. But, yeah, they, yeah, definitely the surprise back for me and I was really impressed with the way they played. Yeah, they did surprise me, but I I think one of the teams that really surprised me was Japan because, like, honestly – We've spoken about it before, and we spoke with Timsy about it before as well, and we thought, you know, Japan's going to be a real threat this time around, and it didn't happen. Yeah, agree with you with that. They were obviously missing some players, Hmm. and then, you know, Tokashiki coming back into the group, uh, and a little bit of a different playing style, a new coach. So there were a lot of changes for them from their silver medal at the Olympics last year. So, yeah, also a surprise packet. I sort of – I like talking about good surprises rather than (laughs) bad surprises, though. (laughs) Yeah, I think what's – the reason I was so surprised is because of the way they performed in the friendlies earlier this year. In terms of against Australia? Yeah. Very different Australian team. We had a very young team at that May series and – you know, those games were close. They definitely didn't shoot as well as what they usually do. Mm. Uh, the few games I did watch them play, I thought they were getting pretty open looks. And from the years that I've played against them, contested shots are nothing but net. So to see them miss so many uncontested shots from the three-point line, I think surprised me a lot. But, you know, they'll be back. They're a good oh. team. Yeah, no question. And I think it's um, important to note how tough – it is in Asia at the moment mm. because China are just deep. They have everything covered. Australia, you know, we got bronze at uh, this World Cup. Japan got silver at Tokyo last year. So the fact that Australia qualify within the Asia qualification series now, it, it is a really tough qualification series. And I think a lot of talk has been about those qualification series, but Asia is we are good now. Yeah. Yeah, I've I got to say that the Opals' last two games in this World Cup, to be honest, I thought were the two games of the entire tournament. Wow, that's a big call. <laughs> right, I thought they were tough. They were hard games. They played full tilt in both of those games. In terms of excitement, I think they were just awesome games. I ran into a couple of the um, the FIBA people in the media lift and we had a bit of a chat about it and they was like, yeah, yeah, these were two of the most amazing games from this tournament. And, you know, I personally, I think part of it, and look, I'm looking at it from the outside looking in. To me, it seemed like the Opals as a team were there to take care of unfinished business from Tokyo. Is, do you think that's fair? It's an interesting way to put it. I don't necessarily agree with unfinished business. Okay. 
but I think the intent of changing the narrative around this Opals team was more what it was about, to show their growth, to show that they're different, to show that they've learnt. Tokyo was just a different beast. A lot has been spoken about it. I want to speak about what the Opals are today, and that is a gritty, determined, relentless, I just have so many words for them because I just have immense pride for how they've been able to overcome so much and perform like that on home soil and to be able to inspire a nation and see their passion, like Steph Talbot showing emotion, like fist pumping and smiling and like to see that come out of her, to see how much they were enjoying themselves on the court was incredible and there has been so much work gone on behind the scenes for them to get that bronze medal and it's incredible and as I said I just have immense pride for every single member of that group yeah and when Steph Talbot's showing some emotion who she's normally so focused no emotion on her face just gets in get a gets a job done gets out so when she's showing emotion you know something good is brewing in that crew I mean, my favourite photo, there were some really great photos as well from the tournament from so many different photographers and outlets. But one of my favourite, maybe I'm a little bit biased because Steph is my favourite player, but it's from from our friend Jeff Tripp who got Steph. It was the three-pointer in the bronze medal game where Darcy Garvin had the ball on the cut and tapped it straight out to Steph and she's holding her follow-through with a smile on her face and the bench (laughs) is in behind her, up on their feet. That, for me, is the photo of the tournament in terms of that moment of the game. That moment of the game as well, for me, was the real momentum shifter as well. But also that just encapsulates the tournament for me. It really does. And I don't tweet very often, but I tweeted that photo because it just, as you said, spoke all the words that you can't speak about what it meant to every single person on that team and the joy and emotion that was coming out of all of them was incredible and I agree that I think that one just Canada were dead after that there was no coming back from them yeah yeah and that was really quite early in the game too the game neither team had really settled in neither team had gained control and then that particular play Australia just escalated from that point and to see Steph with a smile on her face too like that was yeah 10 out of 10 yeah I loved it so there's so many different things we can talk about, but there was a piece of news that came out which really surprised me, and that was about Beck Allen having actually had two broken ribs and coming back and playing through against China. Man, that's tough. That's real grit. Yeah, one of the words that I used for the Opals earlier, and you could see that through all the players, the way they play defence, the way they shared the ball, the way they cheered on the bench even, just like everything about them. It was a full team and you could see that Beth wanted to be out there and she gave it her best. I saw her after the bronze medal and um, she was still saying she was in a fair bit of pain and, um, yeah, she's out for a little bit longer with those broken ribs, which I hope she recovers quickly and recovers well. But that sandwich that she had um, was Mm. nasty at the time and she was in a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah, I was in a good position from a spectator's point of view, but a bad position from a spectator's point of view, seeing one of your Opals get injured. So I saw that injury front on and she got quite squished. Uh, So when the report came out that she has, in fact, got two broken ribs, I wasn't surprised. And in reflection, Basketball Australia very cleverly put out that uh, statement around the injury during the World Cup that had words but didn't actually say anything or confirm anything. And me being me, read between the lines, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure she's really done some damage. But for the sake of the spirit of the game and the team and the fans, I think it was really clever that they were just like, here's a statement, take what you want from it, (laughs) and then let's just see what happens. (laughs) Because I think it really would have been devastating, not only for the team to know that Beck was going to be out with two broken ribs, Um, But then having to carry that around with them as well so publicly on their home court, I think it was really clever that they just kind of let it play out how it played out. But 
yeah, I really, really hope that she recovers well and that she's okay. And what a conflicting situation to have two broken ribs and, and to stand up and celebrate and then still want to hug people when you want a bronze medal. But you're kind of like, don't touch me, I'm still hurting. <laughs> Beck Allen loves a hug, so I don't think she was turning them down. That's good. That would have been really hard. Just, just a half hug, just a half hug. Now, before we move away from the World Cup, I'd like to hear your perspective on Lauren Jackson coming back and, you know, contributing to this amazing result. From your point of view, how did did you see that whole thing? Because I know me, I was looking at it going, is she going to make it? Is she not going to make it? You know, coming back after so many years out, how's this all going to play out? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I think when I first heard she was coming back, I was surprised. As you said, she'd been retired for a long time. But I thought that once she was named in the squad, that she was making the 12 is sort of how I felt. And I was just super impressed with her humbleness and her ability to deflect and do whatever the team needed. And you could tell that that China game, she didn't play many minutes I don't think she was super impressed with that. And to come out and have just the goat of goat performances in that bronze medal game. Yeah. So she was forced into retirement due to injury. So to be able to come back, have a game like that on home soil, get a standing ovation as she leaves the court, 30 points, put the team on her back. And she was just back to the Lauren Jackson of old in that third quarter. It was special to watch and you could just feel the energy in the building because of her and you know I've got that on film on my phone of her leaving the court to the standing ovation and that's something that I won't forget for a long time because she deserves to go out in that manner with everything that she's done for the Opals the medal she's won the how she has inspired so many of us she was you know Every single person on that team looked up to Lauren Jackson as a player and then they got to be a teammate with her and it's just a really cool and beautiful story and, you know, she, I think, was pivotal for the leadership of the Opals and where they are today. You know, I mean, well, I was sitting in the Media Tribune in that game and I know from talking to people around me, they were just, and, you know, media get to see a lot of stuff and they tend to be kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all another one. Another one. Oh, how is this going to end? She's just absolutely on fire. And she was. It was just, it was one of those performances that you just look at and you go, That's, that, that was just one of those encore performances that you will never forget. Yeah, and I love that Steph Talbot just kept feeding the beast as well. You could see that she had the intent, we're going to keep going to the well until it dries up, and Lauren Jackson was not drying up in that bronze medal game. <laughs> No, she, some of, even, I mean, assist, new assist queen, Steph Talbot, she was really throwing them up there for Lauren. And some of them, I was like, oh, come on, Steph. Like, that's (laughs) a bit ambitious. Lauren's, to Lauren's credit, she caught every single one. Like, in flight or whether it's holding the player off and on the catch, she caught all of them. Whatever Steph was putting up, Lauren was having. That was, yeah, it was really, really cool. And I really liked that old, um, basketball cliche of you've got to go to the well until the well runs strikes. I feel like in modern day basketball that isn't uh It doesn't happen like, anymore. Doesn't doesn't <laughs> happen enough. It doesn't happen enough. No, like, I agree. I don't get it. I mean we're coming from you and I are coming from quite a good generation of ballers as well. And all of those cliches that we got taught growing up were true. And that's why we became such good ballers, but I don't feel I don't feel like those philosophies are upheld anymore. So I'm glad that you agree on that as well. <laughs> so you've hung up the laces, but you have stayed involved in the game now. Have you found that transition? Yeah, uh, really good. Um, I was so ready to retire. I had achieved everything that I could. I just couldn't imagine going to another training session and warming up, let alone (laughs) Um, that just is where it got for me. But I loved the game of basketball. I was pretty much born into a basketball stadium. 
I've been playing since I was five. I am a sponge for everything basketball. So, of course, I wanted to stay involved. And, you know, I watch all the games. I love the NBL. I love the WNBL. The World Cup was awesome. I watch the NBA when I can. I I truly do love it. So I'm always going to be involved in some way. And, yeah, I don't miss playing at all. Very happy to watch and support and just love on my friends and teammates. And what helped you decide, uh, you know, traditionally a lot of retired players, you know, look to coaching, very few look to refereeing. But, you know, one way or another, even sports administration, a lot of retired players going into sports admin. But one way or another, we're always drawn back to the game in some way. But what was it that attracted you to following broadcasting rather than something like coaching? Coaching I don't want to do right now, definitely not. I feel like I gave everything as a player. Uh, I think in my retirement statement, I said I've given my mind, body and soul and I can't give any more. And I feel like coaching is very all-consuming, probably even more so than a player. And so I know that mentally I'm not prepared for that yet. Uh, Maybe in time I will get back into it because, as I said, I do love the game and I do want to give back. But right now I needed to take some time to myself uh, and really, yeah, step away from it in that way. Uh, so for the broadcasting bit, the opportunity was presented to me and I felt like I couldn't knock it back and I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I was in Cairns last night for the NBL doing some sideline commentary, which I love. That's the first time I've done sideline and I really, really enjoyed that, listening in on timeouts and you know, getting a feel for the different coaches in the NBL. And yeah, it's a really great way to be involved. And I love basketball. I love talking about basketball. I love analyzing basketball. So I think that sort of suits me quite well until mentally I'm more ready to be all consumed by it again. But right now I'm not ready for that. And one of the things that happens a lot for players is planning for life after retirement. A while back we spoke with agent Sammy W. And one of the things he said is that it's really important to plan for after. I'm more curious to find out from you, do you think there's enough done by the league and the clubs and the the infrastructure that's around the game to be able to help players plan for that point in time when you are going to leave the game? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think from when I started to when I retired, the resources and the knowledge and awareness around it has definitely improved. But another saying that I'm going to bring out is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. And there were things available to me, but I was all consumed by basketball. I put everything into that. So I didn't prepare as well as what I should have. And I would implore athletes of today, especially females, to really prepare for life after basketball because it comes fast and it hits you quick. But yeah, for me, I was, I just wanted to be the best basketballer that I could be. And I gave everything to it. Did I have time to do other things? Yeah, probably. Did I really want to? No, not really, which is why I didn't. But there's definitely things in place now. You know, there's the Players Association, they offer grants for study or for different things. So there's definitely more awareness around it and there are opportunities available but the athletes have to be prepared to take up those opportunities Um, and as I said there is more awareness around it so I hope that athletes do take it up but I know when I was playing it just wasn't something that I was interested in I guess I just figured I would figure it out once the time came and once the time came um, now I'm figuring it out so it's not the best way to do it and I wouldn't recommend other athletes to do that and I think especially for female athletes we definitely you know we don't earn as much as our male counterparts and there wasn't the opportunity for me to have a year or two off to figure out what I wanted to do. I think I retired in March and I started a job very beginning of May. It might've even been the end of April. More out of necessity, I am fine money-wise. You know, I knew I needed to get into it sooner rather than later. So I would have loved to have gone on holidays for a couple of months to Europe and, you know, enjoyed my retirement in that way. But as a female athlete, you know, we put everything into it but don't earn as much. So we do need to be better prepared. So for the female athletes out there listening, (laughs) it is time to start preparing for life after sport because it hits you fast. So we've seen that Ezzy's gone over to Europe. 
right? And and there's good money to be made in Europe. Do you think that one of the things that actually impacts, particularly female players, is the fact that because there's a clash in season overlap between Europe and Australia, that some of the players kind of go, I, I want to stay home and be around friends and family rather than maybe chase an opportunity in Europe where I could potentially earn a bit more to be able to better prepare for after? Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. I know I played a couple of seasons over in Europe and, yeah, I earned much better money over there than I did in Australia. But for me, happiness was more important than money. Mm. Um, And being around my friends and family was really important to me because I found Europe difficult, the language barrier, winter, um yeah it was it was hard and I think for training wise it's quantity over quality in Europe they're a bit more old school um so I struggled with my body in that aspect I think the money in Australia is better than what it used to be I think if you look back majority of the Opals would have been in Europe when I'm looking back to say like that 2006 world champion team I think the majority would have been over in Europe because the money was there and there wasn't a lot here in Australia, but it has definitely gone up here. It's slowly getting better. I think there's still a lot of work to do, but it is slowly getting better. And I think the aim should be to have as many Opals as we can in Australia. That should be the goal. Um, Beck Allen has been over in Europe for a long time. She has made a career over there and good on her. And she plays in America as well. So she's away for pretty much 11 months of the year she might get home for a few weeks to see her family but you know you do need to maximize your career while you can and I think you do need to chase the dollars um and yeah Europe does offer that and I hope Ezzy does really well over there and I think you know also as basketball players we have sort of bucket lists that we want to check off and I think Europe and EuroLeague is sort of one of those that you do want to check off so I hope Ezzy does really well over there and I wish her luck. I think that's a good message as well for players even playing domestically. Um, I know that there are a few female athletes that I used to play with or are still playing NBL 1 now and they're, you know, a, a good 10 years younger. But they have that conflict between staying loyal to their home club and playing for them even though the club won't be very successful and they won't get any bang for their buck, so to speak. Um, versus having the opportunities to go into state, play for MBL1 clubs where the standards higher and they're going to get a better in terms of payment and rent and lifestyle out of it. So I think that's a really good message. Like you said, you've just got to make the most of your opportunity and your playing career while you can because it won't definitely doesn't last forever. We can't all make goat comebacks when we're in our 40s. <laughs> Because only goats can do that. Yeah, and, like, I had a long career in terms of a basketball player. I think it was 18 years, which is pretty rare. But, you know, life as an athlete is short, so make the most of it while you can. And that's what uh, I'm glad you kind of touched on that too because I know essentially your professional career would have started when you went to the AIS because back then the AIS still used to play in the WNBL as well. So... I suppose you touched on it a little bit before about how you knew you were ready for retirement when you didn't want to go to training. I think I wonder as well if a lot of our other listeners have wondered this or perhaps even other female athletes who have played basketball for so long that that's essentially all you know. And so if it's something all you know, how do you know when it's the right time to stop? So what were some of the other signs for you where you were like, yeah, no, I think it's it's the right time for me to retire? I wasn't as excited about game day anymore. Mm-hmm. which like that's what that's what we do we play games and so I think it was just the excitement around basketball wasn't there as it used to be the training thing was a real drag it was real hard to get up out of bed and go to training and I think I was just sick of being sore all the time um there was a lot I, I absolutely knew I it just that last season for me was really difficult we didn't win many games. It probably didn't help either. Um, but it was just a difficult season. COVID affected. I just, I was tired. And yeah, I haven't missed it a day since my last game in Adelaide. Okay. So World Mental Health Week. And it's, it's actually Mental Health Month. Mental Health Month. Yes. Okay. And, and World I Mental sh- Health Day was the, the 10th of October. The 10th. And the WNBL's announced the Community Award, which is inspired by your work with Lifeline. 
what's your vision for that? I mean, how do you want to see that promoted and the WNBL use that as a way to be able to get the message out about community engagement? I firstly want to start off by saying I am very disappointed that as soon as I retire, Lifeline Round Mental Health Round is no longer a part of the WNBL. As nice as it is to have a community ward inspired by me, I knew nothing about that. I feel like the respectful thing would have been to call me because I think the idea around a community ward is brilliant. Everyone at the WNBL has my number or email address. I think they could have called me or emailed me or made contact with me in some way to discuss that with me because I put a lot of time and effort into those lifeline and mental health rounds and last year I don't think the mental health round was done as well as it could have been and the Southside Flyers ended up doing a lifeline round later as well and other teams got on board and we raised a lot of money and a lot of awareness around it and it wasn't until things went on social media that I got a call from Christy Collier explaining everything around the community award but I think that should have been done much earlier and she apologised for that. So I will put that on record that she did call me and apologise. In terms of the community award, I do think it's great and I know how much I love helping other people and I know how much a lot of WNBL athletes love helping other people as well and there's so many great causes. One that comes to mind is obviously Beck Cole with lymphoma. Um, her dad had cancer and she's doing a lot of great work and there's just so many athletes within the WNBL who are doing great work. So to be able to be recognised is just really great. Just a little bit disappointed with how the WNBL went around it. And there have been a number of athletes as well to their credit, which I really was happy to see have come out in support of the issues that you've also raised. The fact that if an award is inspired by someone not actually contacting the person about that first or perhaps consider, I mean, even naming rights. I think one of the, another WNBL athlete was suggesting, um, but then also to have the community award, but then have no ties to the organisation that helped inspire the award in the first place just makes no sense. So, yeah, there were other athletes coming out in your support for that as well that were also like, can someone make sense of this? Yeah, I have a lot of great support and I think that there still will be something to do with Lifeline or mental health this coming season because there are so many people who are passionate about it and who believe in it. So I think the Players Association will help organise that. I hope the NBL um, in some aspect will get involved as well because I just think it's so important to create awareness around mental health, especially with the last couple of years that we've had. And I think the stigma around it is definitely decreasing, but I still think we have a long way to go. So watch this space for what happens with Lifeline slash Mental Health Round this coming WNBL season. Oh, I'm keen for that. I will definitely be all eyes fixed on seeing what happens in that space. That will be very exciting. And please let us know if there's anything that we can do to help cross-promote it or build up some hype like we did last WNBL season, we all wanted one of those mental health round warm-up tops to purchase. And I feel like we made enough noise and whinged enough online that they did end up making them available to purchase. But another, me being me, I felt like another initiative would have been to sell the shirts and have part of the proceeds go towards a mental health organisation, call me logical, whatever. But that's that's some of the follow-through that I, I hope that the league will Im- improve on in the future. But then it was came out later that it was actually the club's unanimous decision to then not support Lifeline. Is that was that your understanding as well? To be honest, I don't know whose decision it was, and I don't really care whose decision it was. It's just really disappointing <laughs> with the decision that was made. No yeah. matter who made it, and at the end of the day, I think the WNBL Basketball Australia has to agree to mm-hmm. decisions. So at the end of the day, it's their league. Um, I just wish there was more communication with the athletes because the athletes are the ones that actually have to, they're the faces of it. Mm. And the athletes don't get any say into anything. It's just like, oh, this round, we're doing this. 
So I think there does need to be more communication with the players in general because, as I said, they're the face of it. They're the ones who are out on the court pretty much promoting it, wearing it on their chest, whatever it is. So whether it's clubs, WBLBA, don't really care, but some communication with the athletes would be nice. I feel like, like you said before, a lot of the athletes still want to themselves as individuals want to support these organisations and causes. So even, you know, ahead of time saying, hey, just so you know, in a month's time, it's going to be breast cancer awareness month. Maybe start plugging it on your socials. Maybe start getting this ready just to have that preparation and building a little bit more awareness around, you know, the point of the round. Mental health round last year or last season, I found out two days before. Yeah, and I think... And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to cover for anyone here, but I think one of the problems that the WNBL has had is that the majority BA works in a, a shared services model. So there's you know there's virtually no dedicated WNBL staff. And I think one of the problems that goes with that is that if people are sharing their time across you know across a whole lot of different things, stuff gets lost in the noise. And I'm not trying to cover for anybody on this. I, I really am not. I'm just, I know that, you know, if you look at it from the point of view of, if, if I look at it in, from a corporate perspective, for example, if you've got people that aren't dedicated to a particular area of focus, they don't look at it because it's kind of, you know, oh, I've got this guy asking me this and I've got this person asking me that. I've got someone else asking me something else and it, it takes the attention away. And I think one of the issues that needs to be addressed, particularly for the WNBL in relation to this, is they need more dedicated resources to be able to deal with this stuff. Resources in female sport go hand in hand. Female sport needs more resources, absolutely. I'm not here to bash the WNBL. No, no, I'm not here to do that. Um, But female sport is under-resourced, yes. We need to invest. Everyone listening, invest. Invest in female sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that's one of the big issues that impacts so many of the other, uh, so many of the things that we want to see happen with female sport as well. And that kind of leads into the next point that we were going to talk about, which is, you know, you've been around the game for a long time. You're a leader in the sport. How do we improve what can be done to improve the visibility of the WNBL, women's basketball, and women's sports more widely. Yeah, put us to work, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't have all the answers. I have lots of problems generally. No, um, I think that I'm, I'm very aware that money doesn't grow on trees. There's not, it's just not going to be all this money all of a sudden in female sport. But I think it starts with that visibility. And I'm really, I love that the WBL is going to be on nine now this coming season that is just a huge step because it's just more accessible and I think coming off the world cup where it was on home soil and so many fans were there I think that is just great growth and so well done to WBLBA getting us on free to air I think that's terrific I think platforms like this is really great highlighting how great female athletes are but I would love to see female sport in the media more often and I think the more exposure that there can be, the better, because you can't be what you can't see. Um, and if you don't see it, people aren't going to know about it. So I think, yeah, the, absolutely a wonderful step for the WNBL to have, what is it, one game on ESPN and the rest streamed on 9Go. Nine, Nine, Nine now, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really great step. And I think the WNBL has been slowly building from streaming all the games from the hub to last year's broadcast deal to now this. I think it is moving in the right direction. I think people are more aware of female sport. I think AFLW obviously has a lot of investment from the AFL. I think netball is going great. Um, The Matildas are awesome. So the soccer. So I think female sport is tracking in the right direction. But I think we need to, yeah, it needs to be more visible. It needs to be on free to air and needs to be in the papers more. And then we can slowly build from there. Yeah, because hopefully Megan will return. Megan Husswaite will continue to do her one-page weekly spread for the WNBL as well. I think that's a really good step forward. Um, And something we touched on with her a couple of episodes before is then taking opportunities like that of a one-page spread and then just us as fans or 
or whoever in the basketball community, just shoving it in people's faces, <laughs> just making sure that we share that stuff. We say, hey, look at this article, repost it, take it to work, put it at the water cooler, just little things like that as well. Just really gently shove it in people's faces. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. I want to ask something because, look, I've spent a lot of time in the corporate world and one of the things that always surprises me is there's a lot of great leaders in the WNBL, yourself. And I'm going to focus on you on this one for a minute. Corporates are always looking for, at events, to get leaders from, from different sports to come and speak to them. I mean, have you ever been asked or have you heard of people from, and I was going to just stick to basketball, being asked to speak to corporates? Pre-COVID, I was doing a few Mm. and I found it really interesting. I would go into a room with, you know, 20-plus middle-aged white males and they would just be enthralled with my story of where I've played and how I've done what I've done and they always – left saying we're going to be watching you, we're going to be supporting you. But then COVID hit and, you know, those Zoom ones just weren't great and so it sort of slowed down. But I actually had a phone call today um, and I'm going to be doing one in a couple of weeks. So, yes, it does happen. Great. Um, And I really enjoy doing it. Awesome. And do you continue? I remember there was a time where when you were working closely with Lifeline, you were on the road a little bit as well advocating for the service and for the sport. Are you still involved in life with Lifeline in that capacity as well? Not in that capacity as much. That was through the AIS um, and they sourced a lot of those for me. So I am not doing that currently, but whenever I can, I try and support Lifeline. I was supposed to go do something with them next week. Unfortunately, I can't, but I am still in contact with them and wherever I can, I do try and help out. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to kind of push this in a different direction how do we how do we find ways to get athletes like those in the wnbl to be able to engage like you have with corporates and the reason i'm saying that is the more engagement that comes between the wnbl and corporates there's a visibility that comes not just from having the sport on tv you're getting opportunities to be able to talk directly to people who can make decisions about, you know, potentially make decisions about sponsorship and corporate engagement with the sport. And I know, I'm sure it's it's a pain in the butt sometimes to walk into those crowds. I mean, to me, it seems like it's a great mix. I mean, are you aware of anybody who's organising that on a, on a more structured manner? Yeah, so there's a website called Pickstar yep. where you can sign up for um, you put the details in, what you've achieved, what you've done, and then companies um, advertise on that website for what they need. They can either search for athletes specifically or they can just put up an ad and then athletes can apply um, to do those. They're generally paid gigs and there's a range of different things you can do. It could be just like face-to-video or face-to-phone type thing and you're just doing a quick video shout-out or there's emceeing gigs, there's um, keynote speaking gigs, there's Q&A, so there's heaps of different things on there. So that is a very structured format that is available to athletes and the Players Association definitely um, encourage athletes to sign up for that. Excellent. Okay. I suppose as we kind of sort of wind this up a little bit, I'll get to the, the end question, which is what's on the horizon for Jenna? Yeah, watch this space. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just finished up the role I started when I retired uh, the end of last week. So that was a great experience for me working with the AIS in the wellbeing space and I really enjoyed it and it was a good experience for me uh, straight out of playing. So I'm on the job hunt at the moment. Um, You'll see me on the sideline at some NBL games doing some commentary, which is fun. Um, but in terms of career wise, not sure, still figuring that out, but that's the fun bit of life, right? <laughs> Have you got any, uh, potential like ideas or is your heart pulling you one way or but your mind's pulling you another way? I really like the athlete wellbeing and engagement space. Um, I think my experience obviously as an athlete and then, um, my work in 
with Lifeline and in that wellbeing space, I think sync really nicely. So I think down the track, that's definitely where I see myself. And I think it's a really important space, but we'll need to gather some experience before sort of going into that. So that's where I see myself down the track. Um, Just need to put some things in place to have the right experience for it. And of course, in the meantime, if there's any corporates who want a great speaker, Jenna O'Hay is there and ready to show up and attend your your organisational function. Holler at me. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, now, I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, but there is normally one really unscripted question that we put out there, okay? So... Hit me with it. All right. I'm going to hit you with one as well, actually, a real silly one. (laughs) Oh, okay, so we're going to go for two. All right, that's cool. Yeah, two. I got got a silly one. So the, the first one is, it's similar but different. If you were going to be any Disney character, who would it be? I don't think I even know Disney characters. <laughs> that would be that would be contrary to a lot of our guests. <laughs> Who's Disney? Uh, Who's you know, like L- Little Mermaid, Moana, oh. Frozen, Toy Story. I grew up with two older brothers, so I watched like. Seinfeld and the Simpsons. Oh, well, I guess, you know, what Seinfeld character would you be to start off? Because one of our previous guests said that they'd be a Seinfeld character, and I'll let you know who that is after you answer. (laughs) Well, I did tell you I have a dog, and Mm. his name is Cosmo, which is after Cosmo Kramer. (laughs) My little Cosmo, as I said, is 17 different breeds, so he is unique like Kramer from Seinfeld. That's so funny. Look, that, the reason why we found that such a great answer, and I'm glad I led you into the Seinfeld question because Mariana Tolo uh, has been, is on the record on our podcast saying that if she was any TV character or movie character, she would be Cosmo Kramer. Cosmo Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is so great. The fact that you said the same thing for your dog as as Tolo and I love that Tolo said that and the reasons why she said she would be Kramer because now when I watch her play I can't get some of the Kramer mannerisms out of my brain when I'm watching her play like you know even heroically as she did at the World Cup but I was like hee Tolo said she's Kramer (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) that's great and my silly kind of question I think I've only asked this perhaps once before um, but when you were a kid growing up other than a basketball player, you know, you're wanting to grow up and be a basketball player. What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, I'm going to change it a little bit. But if I wasn't a basketball player, I would have been a tennis player because you get to wear real cute outfits, follow summer around the world. Your entourage just like follows you. I think it would just be the best. Yeah, especially chasing the summers, especially that would be the best. That's no, my dream. No winters ever. And now you're living in Brisbane. I hope that you have a winterless life in Brisbane. Yes. It is very nice up here. Yeah. The only thing, the only, I don't mean, I've spent a lot of time up there with the family. The only thing that really always gets me about Brisbane is the, the January humidity. Yeah. My hair's not looking forward to that. <laughs> we'll see how I go. Yeah. Jenna O'Hay, it has been great having you on the show. It's been fantastic talking to you, getting your view on the World Cup, the Opals and everything else. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I know Mary's been trying to get me on for a while, so I'm glad I could finally get on. (laughs) It was great timing as well after the World Cup and having World Mental Health Day yesterday. So, you know, you just got to let these things happen organically, right? That's it. All meant to be. Absolutely. General Hay, thanks so much. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.